Okay, so this week is about choosing a path, choosing the right path, and listening to wisdom, which helps us do that. And so I had us read that because you will see as you read the Proverbs that a number of chapters or sections begin with the word, my son, my son. When I translate that for my children, I always say, my child, uh, because I have three daughters and they don't always like the my son. Uh, but it's the voice of a parent who is speaking to a child. And one aspect of the doctrine of the Trinity is that God is our Father. So we should receive the voice of wisdom through Proverbs as if our parents were talking to us. And, and you will see, it doesn't do it very often, but it, it does happen more than once, that it's my son, listen to your father and do not ignore your mother's instruction. And some of the most important pieces contain that particular uh, rendition of the, the parental voice. So we read these as if our divine parent were talking to us. That's, that's the, the first point. And so then I want to talk about uh, the next word here. It, it says, I will instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. So the idea here is that God is going to lead us along the path of life. And to do that, to explain that a little deeper, I've written two words. I think I'll tell a story here. But uh, I have a friend here in town. Some of you might know him. His name is Mark Wiegand. He's a lawyer. Uh, and uh, Mark is a devout Catholic. And so we walked uh, the way of St. James, the Camino del Santiago, together about five years ago. And here's what we discovered. It's marked, if those of you have seen the movie The Way, know that there's a seashell is the sign of St. James. It's a sign. And they are very nice to mark the path that you're supposed to be on with a seashell. But two things go wrong with that. One, it's been there for a long time, and so trees and bushes can block the seashell. So you can go by the seashell that is telling you where to turn without meaning to do that. The second is more contemporary. Young people like to turn the seashells various directions so that you get messed up if you don't have a GPS to tell you the right way. And uh, sure enough, uh, one day, uh, after Mark and I had been walking about 10 hours, uh, someone had turned the seashell on us. We walked about two miles till we hit a four-lane highway. We thought, this is not where we belong. Uh, Mark then uh, looked at his, his watch had a GPS. He had one of those Apple watches that had a GPS on it. And you can actually dial into the way of St. James. But he hadn't thought about that for the last two miles. Uh, and uh, he looked at his watch and he said, we've got to backtrack two miles. So think about that. Two miles up, two miles back. It's already late in the afternoon. We're supposed to meet our wives somewhere so they can pick us up. And we are having to rush down this road. Well, life is it not, is a little bit like that, is it not? If we stray off the path, sometimes because we couldn't figure out what the right thing to do was, sometimes somebody actually told us to go the wrong way, uh, we end up going on away, and then what do we have to do? We have to backtrack. And when we backtrack, what do we waste? Time and energy and opportunities. 
So that, choosing the right way, is an important thing. Now, I wanted today uh, to give you a little bit of philosophy here, but it's important. Um, there are basically two ways that philosophers think of uh, ethics. One is what we call rule-based. There's a big word for that called deontological. That means of the law. But a rule-based ethical system is about following rules. Can anybody think of a very famous, recently studied by our class, uh, ethical system that seems to be rule-based? Did it have ten rules? Ten rules, right? The Ten Commandments. That is a classic, what we would call deontological ethical system follow these rules. Now, let's talk about child raising for a minute. How many of us focused on that little aspect of child raising with our children often? <laughs> Isn't it useful and occasionally helpful to remind children of certain rules? We've had a two-year-old in the house, and at one point, Kathy had to remind her of a rule that you will all agree with. The rule is, don't use magic markers on the couch in the front room. <laughs> That's possibly not as famous as the Ten Commandments, but equally true. Uh, well, the second system is what we call character-based ethics, or virtue ethics. And I'm going to give you a Greek word for that, too. The Greek word... Uh, is erite, which means excellence. So to be virtuous is to achieve an excellence. It is to achieve a character uh, that automatically makes wise decisions. Now, as a parent, which, which of these two systems is ultimately more important, this one or this one? The, the character, right? Character turns out to be the most important thing. The rules really are just a way to get to character. Or as I like to say, it's like you're driving down a highway, and one of the little rules that will help you get where you're going is thou shalt not kill, or thou shalt not steal, or thou shalt not commit adultery. So these rules are basically designed to keep us on the road to developing a godly character. So with that, we'll take a little break and go back to the study. Let's go to uh, day eight, that's page 24, and someone read us Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. So trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. So what is important in choosing good paths for our life? The hardest word is the first Trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So we'll take a break and answer some questions. Kathy, by the way, was critical of me for talking too much last week. So, um, by the way, she has to be with a two-year-old this morning. That's why she's not here. Um, in who and what do you trust in making decisions? What are some of the things we trust in in making, our de in making decisions regularly?
Faith, family, and friends. So let's just deal with two of them. So one thing we do if we're smart is we ask friends advice and we ask family advice, right? Family and friends, they're a, a, a primary source. Now, what else do we trust sometimes? Experience. experience. Someone who has experience in this area that we don't possess. Like, for example, Sometimes we have to trust experts, right? If I have an accounting problem, who should I go talk to? A pastor? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> if I have an accounting problem, I talk to? Are you a an accountant. If I have a legal problem, I talk to? A lawyer. If I have a business problem, I talk to a? Experienced businessman, right? So sometimes we get information from experts, uh, but ultimately, right at the beginning, what is the ultimate source of good advice? God is the ultimate source. You know, I, uh, I wish he was here today. Dave Schieber and I uh, had a church consultant. His name is Ken Hunter. He goes by the name of the church doctor. And Kent is very famous among pastors uh, as a church consultant. Uh, but like all consultants, he sort of comes into town on his 747. He rushes to your office. He talks to 15 or 20 people. And then he tells you what to do. And a lot of the time, it's the same thing he told the last church 300 miles to do, because you can only know so much in this world as a consultant. And one of the things that I learned early on about dealing with Ken is, is that I knew my church better than Ken knew, Ken knew our church. And he occasionally gave me advice that was just impossible. I'll give you a good example. Uh, I was in Brownsville, Tennessee, my first church. First time I met him, uh, we had him come to consult with us about what we should do. We had a pre-Civil War building that was right off the public square. Kent came into town. He gave us very good advice. He said, sell the building and move out to the freeway. I said, Kent, the families that gave this building are still here. This is the deep old south. If I go to the station and say, let's sell the building, they're going to sell me back to the seminary. Uh, it was a great piece of advice, maybe, uh, but it was impossible. And guess what? 35 years have gone by. Where do you suppose that church is? Right next to uh, the public square where it was founded because uh, some of the families are still there. So when you get advice, what do you have to do? You've got to weigh it, right? And always a, a place to weigh that advice is, war, is with God. What does God think about this advice? Is this godly advice? Um, I, I'll give you an example, which I'm sure Ron's familiar with. Uh, lots of churches. I had an inner city church or a church in a changing neighborhood in Memphis. And um, plenty of times they would say you ought to sell the building and you ought to move uh, out to the suburbs where the white community is growing. What was wrong with that little piece of advice, possibly from God's point of view? We were going to abandon the community that we were in that needed a stronger church there. Uh, so that we had to weigh that advice to sell the building and move to a, a, a wealthier and more prosperous area. And 
against the fact that we were going to be deserting not just the neighborhood, but all of our members who lived in that neighborhood. Uh, and so, yes. This church faced that same issue right then of George Mose's ministry. Yeah. The sanctuary was redone as a commitment to stay. In the inner city. I use that example because I do think this church is a great example of a church that did make that decision not to abandon. Yeah. And when the church considered the $8 million addition in the 80s, which is that half of the building, a father, an elder father and son got up in tears and wailed about selling the facility and moving to the suburbs. But they only got two votes and it was taken. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so... So I'll give you the two. Please ask me to repeat that because I've been told to do that by my boss and I forget. Um, but basically two people noted that this church once made a study as to whether it should move and go out to the suburbs and under, I believe, Dr. Mose, it was decided not to do that but to stay in the inner city and minister from this place to the city of San Antonio, which I'm so glad that they did myself um, since I live close to the inner city now. Um, so with that, I want to talk a little bit about wisdom as heart formation. The proverb says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Now, what is the heart? First of all, where is your heart? It's not up here, is it? Where is it? It's there. <laughs> your physical heart is there. What is your heart? heart it's your whole being it's your soul I said it's the center of you it's your true self it's your true self it is who you really are as somebody said when the lights are turned off and there's no camera running uh, it's it's your real being that's your heart and interestingly enough, I think, in our culture, we tend to see the center of a person as where? Their brain. Great mistake. Great mistake. We've got a doctor in the room. So doctors will tell you uh, that lots of what we do, lots of what we think, lots of what we feel really has to do with our heart. Our heart is a profound influence on our brains. And the, the ancients knew that. They knew that. They didn't know biology, but they may have known some things better than we know them. What they knew was is that the heart is the center of a person. It's the motive. It's the emotion. It's the spiritual wholeness of that person acting in the world. And... God is interested in forming our heart, all of us, not just parts, not just our brain, not just we got our theology right. Um, how many of you all know the old Amy Grant song, Fat Baby? Uh, Ron knows Fat Baby. My wife dances to Fat Baby some of the time. She was doing that just this week. Uh, but it's all about a guy who knows everything there is to know. He's got a four or five pound Bible. He knows everything he knows up here, but he's got nothing in his heart. He's got nothing in his heart, so the song is Fat Baby. Well, what does Christ focus on? What does Christ focus on? What does Christ focus on? 
He focuses on the heart, right? He focuses on the being. He focuses on the whole person. In other words, Christ, if I might say it, is not a rule-based thinker. He's a character-based thinker. He's always worried about forming the character of the people he's talking to around God, which is why, I might add, you can say that we're freed from the law. We're not freed from the law in the sense that we can break it. We're freed from the law in the sense that we no longer need it. Yes. The rules. In fact, uh, after we are saved, do we continue to be fallen people? We do. And so I'll just. 96% of the time, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you are here in church today. Or, you know, at the risk of being risque, uh, I will be older than I am now before the words, thou shalt not commit adultery, have meaning for my life. Right? Because men are never too old to misbehave, right guys? <laughs> We're never too old to misbehave. So I will always need that rule-based reminder. So I think you've led, let me say something I was thinking about this morning. One modern propensity is to reduce everything to something. And really you can't do that all the time. We need rules. Our children do need rules, right? They have to have some rules or they would just go crazy. And you can't form character without rules, right? Like a rule in our house was thou shalt not hit thy little sister. <laughs> you know, that was a rule. Now Trammell wasn't going to learn to behave properly toward women without that little rule about his little sister, right? So we need rules, but we are always, the wise parents always moving toward the heart. Just as God in our life is always moving toward the heart. You know, God, God's always trying to mold our hearts. I think Ron's going to do a study, and this is over, uh, that takes us back to theology. And really what theology is are the boundary lines. That if you get out of the boundary line, you're in trouble with God, thinking about God, because you'll start inventing your own God if you get outside the boundary lines. Theology can't substitute for a personal relationship with God, but it can help us get there, right? <laughs> it, it can help us get there. Okay, I'm going to turn now to page... Um, 26, somebody read me Proverbs 4, 26 through 27. Okay, so when we have to make choices in life about our path, what should we do? First word. <laughs> Ponder. In other words, as my mother used to say, think before you act, right? <laughs> That's the bottom line of that. Pondering the path of our feet means to think before we act. Now let's think about that word ponder. Okay, what is it to ponder? Think deeply. Think deeply. That's a good one. What else? 
Pray. Think while you pray. We're going to get to that before this is over. Uh, not today, but in an eventual lesson. Think and pray at the same time. Yes. Look at it from different perspectives. Get out of your own opinion. And that takes what? Time and humility. To, to recognize you might not be right. Your first impression might not be right. Um, the word ponder also carries with it the connotation of a word we call ruminate, uh, which is like a cow chewing, to chew over a problem. I think last week Dave suggested that one of the characteristics of people he admired was they didn't act precipitously, they had good timing. And taking time to think is part of having good timing, is it not? <laughs> uh, you can't have good timing if you are like me, ADHD. Uh, you have to, have to be able to stop and think and ponder for a while. Um, so when you make decisions, what are some of the temptations you feel not to ponder? What are some of the temptations we feel not to ponder? consequences. And, and that kind of leads us back to this. So when we're pondering, uh, what are the temptations we face that keep us from being wise? And one of them is just urgency to act. I mean, if you're an, I, by the way, I tell people, thank God for ADHD kids. My son was ADHD. But without ADHD people, we'd have no leaders in the whole country. We'd have nobody that just said, finally, let's just do this. Uh, and so, you know, thank God for ADHD. We, we tend to treat them badly today, but uh, my son did horrible in school. He was a terrible student until the day he graduated, and the day he graduated, he got a job, and he's been fine ever since. Just sitting in a chair wasn't his thing. By the way, he works in the computer business and sits in a chair all day now, so I don't know what he is. Uh, so what else? What else can keep us from making good decisions? The alpha male thinks he knows all the Thinking we know all the answers. Thinking we know, not having the humility to think, hey, I might not have the answer here. Uh, and what else can prevent us? The desire for immediate gratification. Desire to have this object or possess this thing. Uh, and I'll, I'll jump ahead. Outside, other people put pressure on us, do they not, to make decisions we don't want to make <laughs> yet. Uh, so sometimes we have to resist the pressure of our business colleagues or our spouses or our friends who are all urging us to take a course of action, maybe in good faith, but they might not be right, right? Because they're human like we are. So um, I put some of these things. Selfishness can cause us, can be a temptation. Fear, how many, by the way, this is one of my things. The absolute worst management principle is this. Every decision you make from fear is always wrong. I've learned that in managing three churches now and a law firm. Every decision you make 
based on fear, I assure you it will be wrong. It's the worst management mistake of all. Gossip, making decisions based upon gossip. That's something that every pastor has to learn to avoid. Uh, and not making decisions because of what I'll call a low self-image, being motivated by our own sense of unworthiness to make decisions. That, that will also take you inevitably down the right, wrong path, will it not? Okay, so next, let's get to um, where we're going to end today. Proverbs 8, 1 through 4. By the way, Proverbs 8 is sort of like a chapter from God to read as much as possible. Who wants to read us 8, 1 through 4? Go for it. Thank you, thank you. Now, wisdom, in this little picture we get at the beginning of chapter 8, where is wisdom located? At the crossroads. What is a crossroad? It's a decision, right? It's a place we have to go right or left from. We have to choose a path. Uh, So, I wanted to close today. Proverbs uh, urges us to make decisions at the crossroads of life in the right way. And in doing that, throughout the book, about four images are used. That is, we all have the way of wisdom or the way of foolishness. At the crossroads, we can choose to be wise or we can choose to be foolish. We can choose to be righteous. For people talking about the rules. Uh, To the Jew, righteousness was following the Torah. It was following the law. That was their definition of what a Sadiq, what a wise man, a righteous man was, is a person who follows the law. Uh, Or we can become wicked. And what is a wicked person in the Jewish way of thinking? Someone who does not follow the law. (laughs) A a, a non-Torah follower. Uh, We can choose the way of life or the way of death. Or we can choose the way of light or the way of darkness. In Proverbs and in Psalms, often we said the way of the wicked man is a darkness. He doesn't even know what he's about to stumble over. Okay? So we want to be on the wise, righteous, life-giving, and light side of the, of the category, don't we? That's, that's what we want. We want to choose that path uh, that is illumined, that's the light, by God's uncreated light. There's a term for you that's worth knowing, Uh, that is a way that will enhance life, a way that will conform to the moral law, and a way that will ultimately be wise. Uh, And so we have to take time to do that, and to do that, what is the first thing we, we really have to do? You're gonna get it, I know you are. Learn prudence. Learn to pray. Learn to ponder. 
uh, learn to seek God's will, uh, who is the ultimate light. He's the ultimate light, the light in every darkness, so we, we have to learn to do that. So I'm going to give you a little technique uh, that I have used a lot over the last many years. Uh, I call it matrix decision making, but I actually learned to do it from a Catholic priest uh, doing a thing called centering prayer uh, from the Catholics. But when faced with decisions, I think it's useful to go into a dark room with nothing. Don't take your Bible, don't take your Bible before you go, but read your Bible before you go. Go into a dark room with your little old legal pad and you and a pen and start thinking about all the possible consequences of this course of action. Try to close your eyes and pray through those consequences. Try to think of every person who will be impacted by this decision. Um, I think Ron and I have share the uh, dubious pleasure of having to be pastor of a church that was leaving the PCUSA. When we were leaving the PCUSA, um, I would sit in my office all alone praying all the time, but the staff would come in and say this to me, Chris, have you thought about what Mrs. Blank thinks about this? Have you talked to Mr. X? Have you talked to the women of the church about this? Have you? And, and Basically, all we were doing is building the list of people who would feel they were impacted by this and praying through it and deciding what, what, what should we do here. Uh, and to try not to make, by the way, we didn't make a decision until the very possibly last moment we could make it. Uh, and uh, to allow, well, in business, I've learned, in law, in every area of life, this habit of going away and praying through the consequences. And not trusting your initial thoughts about what those consequences are, who's going to be impacted by it, but getting as much information about who's going to be impacted, how bad the impact's going to be. That's how we make great decisions on this path of life. And of course, if it's forbidden by Scripture, that's not hard, to, right? That, there's, a, there's an easy decision. You know, we sometimes say the problem with being president is no decision that can be made by anybody else ever gets to you. The only time you have to make a decision is when nobody else can make it. And we're all in that position sometimes in life where we're the last person to make this decision. If it could be made by somebody else, it would have. It's nice if the Bible says thou shalt not because it's not that hard. It's where the Bible doesn't say that and we have to decide <laughs> that it gets harder. Uh, because now we have to decide what the whole message of Scripture might bring to this decision we're making and not just follow some rule. Uh, so I'm going to leave us with that today because it's almost time for us to be uh, going. Um, so someone closes down by reading, once again, as loud as you can, because uh, you have to come through my mic. Uh, Proverbs 4, 18 and 19. Proverbs 4, 18 and 19. So this back to this idea of light. I think I'll leave you with the last little parable of the day. You know, Jesus says, uh, the way that leadeth unto death is broad. <laughs> Huge superhighway, and many there are who travel it. But the way that leads to life is narrow, and few there are that find it. Um, 
Jesus is warning us that the path of life is not always either the biggest path in front of our eyes or the most attractive path in front of our eyes uh, or the most worldly wise path in front of our eyes. It's sometimes the hardest path of all. In fact, just between you and me, it's been my observation that 90% of the time the godly choice is actually the harder one to make. I, I think we're getting some nods up here. 90% uh, of the time, in fact, following Jesus turns out to be the hardest choice of all uh, compared to all the other choices you might make, and that requires a certain discipline. So with that, I'm going to turn you. So tomorrow, next week, is Have Healthy Relationships. It's about friendship and family. Uh, we, you will start reading today, and today is day 15. Has everybody got that? What day is today? 15. 15. 